0: Is John Elmore. I serve here on the Dallas campus in both community and regeneration. Great to be with you as always. So, when I was a kid, my parents sent my brother and I to summer camp. We would go to summer camps, and this one camp in particular that we went to, at the end of the camp term, they have the closing ceremonies. And at closing ceremonies, the whole camp gathered together. So, hundreds of kids multiplied by hundreds of parents, sometimes grandparents, would all descend upon this camp and they would give out awards. And the awards that they would give out, like there was was a Bumblebee Award. There was a Muster Hustle Award. There was a Foursquare Life Award. uh, There was the All Around Camper Award. There were all these different awards. But frankly, those awards were like chump change. Those were like, I mean, you kind of just like palm clap for those. Like, come on. Wait for it, because their waiting that everyone was waiting for was this bad boy, the I'm third award. The I'm third award, the crowd would go nuts for the person who won it. And the reason why is because the one who won this was deemed the most selfless camper. The one who was most unselfish. The one who lived for God first, others second, and thank you, themselves third. Third. It was the Humility Award, which is like so bizarre. So the first time that you're there, you're watching it, and you're like, dude, that kid, wow, that's amazing. They're the least selfish. That's incredible. And you hear this like eruption of applause, and they walk forward humbly, of course, receive their Humility Award, crowns before the Lord. And then then they walk back to their seat, and you're like, huh. So the next year when you go back to camp, you're like, I will be most unselfish. I will. Hey, you want to go play soccer? Uh, no, sorry. Uh, I don't know if you heard Bobby's sick at the nurse's station, so I'm going to go pray and fast for him. <laughs> but there's sailboats and soccer. and Yeah, I know, but hey, oh, are you out of lemonade? Chicken fried steak? Can I help anyone? Would you like to borrow my toothbrush? It's like, it made, the, it was like Pharisee factory and all these kids like gunning for the selflessness award, like super bizarre. And so I emailed, I was like, hey guys, I emailed all of staff. I'm like, staff, I need a nine third third award. Anybody got a nine third third award laying around? And the responses were hilarious. The responses were like, No, but I always wanted one. I tried so hard to get the unselfishness award. One person was like, nope, they knew I was too much of a Pharisee. They could tell I was trying to get it. The other person was like, I went every summer and I was so mad that I never got the unselfishness award. Like everybody wanted it. Well, I got one. I got two. That's right. I got two of the unselfishness awards, which didn't get any laughter. You're like, that's so weird that you would brag about your youth and unselfishness on stage. It's because I didn't have the right heart. I just learned to play the part. I wasn't an idiot. I like look around like, okay, I get it. You just serve everybody, smile, learn everybody's names. Like, that's easy. Like I can play the part. And so I got it twice. The award I should have gotten is how to dupe an entire camp into thinking you're religious and righteous. (laughs) Like I was an ace at that. And for me, it was just like simple laws of sociology. It's like, I, you know, you look around, you're like, okay, do bad, get bad. Like, you do bad, you get in-school suspension, you get spankings, you lose privileges, you do good, you get good. Like, people applaud you, they give you attaboys, you get awards. I'm like, uh, get bad, get good, okay, I'll be the do-gooder. And I became a little Pharisee. I, I just, like, loved the approval of Man. And I love the applause and I love the awards. And, I, and, I, and frankly, I didn't want to be in tr- trouble. And so I just became a Pharisee that wanted to win the things and get the pat on the back and the approval of man. And so what I also walked away with is not two of these, you know, worthless awards that I fraudulently earned. The other thing I walked away from camp with was an, an idol. I walked away with this idol of approval of man that I fed for much of my life. And so while these are in the attic, my parents' attic in Missouri, I walked away an addict, an addict to insecurity and people-pleasing and fear of man, which led to alcoholism, Uh, always searching for that next high. Oh, applause, pat on the back, approval. Boom, and the idol lets you down. And so you got to get the next one even higher. Boom, in this vicious cycle of this idol that owned me. Owns me. And the reason why is because I was not getting it to, to worship God. I wasn't doing these good things to worship God. I was doing it to worship me. Like I wanted the worship. I wanted people to worship me. And I, if you've been here a while, you may have heard me confess some sins on this stage. Alcoholism, chasing money, status, women, all the things that I did. I think this is the sickest sin that I have committed in my life. The desire to be worshipped, approval of man, like scoot aside God, let let me like bask in the glory for a moment. It's the sin of Satan, a desire to be worshipped. And the thing is, I don't think I'm the only one in the room who wants this. I don't think I'm the only one in the room who struggles with this. As I think about our world, as society screams, be the best, do the best, get the best, look the best live in the best neighborhood, get the best job, get the right things so that you would be worshipped and esteemed and be like, dude, look at that success, whether it's sports or career or the boardroom or the nonprofit or whatever it is that you would do good, do good, do good to get worshipped. It's sick, it's messed up. It's an idol that we worship to get worship. And so the question that everybody has to ask today in your heart today is i am living a life of righteousness to worship or to be worshiped? As you'll see in the passage today, it's not just a problem for us or me, it was a problem that the Pharisees were dealing with and Jesus addresses it head on, that their hearts might be changed because they were doing what the Bible said to do, it's just that they were doing it for you and not for God, doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons. So, the text that we're going to be in is Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6, and then we're going to jump to 16 through 18. And if you're like, that's weird, why did you extract the whole passage of Scripture? It's because it's the Lord's Prayer. And so next week, as we continue, we'll address the Lord's Prayer. It deserves its own week because of all that's in there. So, read with me, it'll be on the screen if you have your Bibles. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. and when you pray you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others truly I say to you they have received the reward but when you pray go into your room shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Matthew 6, 1-6 and 16-18. through so this week, we continue our series, A Summer on the Mount. This is a walk through the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that's ever been given. But there are some things that you have to know about this message, about the Sermon on the Mount, because you might walk away and be like, okay, sounds like a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. Do, do that, don't do this. It's not. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. God is not after you to effort under more habits He's after your heart to be rightly aligned with him that will overflow with right actions. It's not about your motions, your religious motions. It's about a right heart devoted to God and out of the overflow, those motions will come. Motive, not motions. And so don't walk out of here and thinking like, oh, I got I to be better i got to be better in my giving and praying and fasting. It's just, I've summoned on the mount. i got to be better. You can't be better. God will make you new, and he is the one that will change you. He'll give you a new life. It's not be better or do good. It's that God is good, and he will make you new. So verse 6-1 sets up the whole thing. This is the crux of the entire passage that Jesus is dealing with and he's rebuking the Pharisees for. says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, here it is, in order to be seen by them. If the motivation is to be acknowledged by others, you have missed it and you're in sin. And whatever hand clap or award or acknowledgement you'll get is all you'll get. I think here in this city in particular, like the U.S. for sure, but I think in this city in particular, Dallas, Texas, like we have a city that's so bent on accolades and materialism and and outward beauty and zip codes and cars and careers and diplomas in keeping up with everybody else like it's all about that and he's saying if you're doing those things in order to be seen your heart is sick you're worshipping an idol in desiring to be worshipped if it's in front of other people in order to be seen that is the crux of it and then he just gives give pray and fast as examples they were these were common jewish things that they were doing in that day and so he's just given those as examples of how they might do those outwardly to be seen rather than out of an inward heart. And so he's not talking about the fruit of deeds. He's talking about the root that that fruit is born from, the root of our heart, the motivation there of the motions, not habits, but hearts. And so as we walk through this passage, there's a chart on the screen that's going to depict where we're going. First, he addresses conduct. He's like, hey, I see what you're doing, Pharisees. I see it. You have the right hands. You're doing the right things, but you have the wrong heart. You're doing it for the wrong reason, which, by the way, is a, a depiction of Jesus being God in flesh. He's like, I know your heart. Everyone else that uh, highly esteems you as religious, re- religious people, I see right through it. I'm God in flesh. I, can, I know the motivation of your heart. You have the right hands. You have the wrong heart. And so then he offers a correction, and he says that it's not stop doing those things. It's rather do those things, but do them out of an overflow of a heart that is rightly loving the Father, which is the call to action. That's what we have to do. It's not walk out of here and have a new list of habits and to-dos and, oh my goodness, now I got to gift praying fast. Oh my goodness, how do I work that into my schedule? It's like, no, love the Father and those things will come. And so that's where we're going today as we walk through this passage. So the first one, conduct, having the right hands, but the wrong heart. And so this is not a question of what we do. Jesus isn't addressing what we do. He's addressing why, why we do it. And so I'm going to walk through it again because you're going to hear the why. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, to be honored by others. They were loud about it. They were loud about their giving. I mean, you might think about this as like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna donate, but where's my name on the banquet program that's gonna be handed out? I'm a, I wanna make sure that I get mine. Like, if I'm gonna do this, I wanna be known for it. They were loud about their good deeds. The next one is, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the street corners to be seen by others. So they were loud about it, but they were also in the right place at the right time. Everybody sees me, Right? Like, I'm, you know I'm picking up trash at this event, even though I'm the top dog. You see me? Like, I'm not afraid to pick up these messy barbecue plates. <laughs> I'm serving them all. Did you get that for the newspaper? Pose for the camera. They were, they were in the right place at the right time. And then he also says, and when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. Three times he calls them hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. They looked the part. They were looking the part. So they were loud, they were in the right place at the right time, and they wanted to make sure that they looked the part that everyone would notice them and give them their pats on the backs and their attaboys and their accolades and their little rewards that they could hang on the wall. And Jesus says, you want that reward? You got it. But that's all you get. And you're not going to have it forever. You're going to have this little idolatrous reward that's going to rot, and frankly, it's going to rot you. Now, you might be thinking like, dude, I I don't blow trumpets. Uh, I, I don't pray on street corners. And, I, and I, I don't fast, but if I did, I wouldn't disfigure my face. And so what does this have to do with me? I think in our day and age, one of the greatest ways that we trumpet and are in the right place at the right time and uh, change the way that we look in order to be noticed by others is a little thing called social media. With Facebook and Twitter and Instabrag. We make sure that every, what you know that's what it is. It's, nobody's out there like, look at this person, they're awesome, encourage them. It's like, look at me. All of it is. The whole thing is geared up. It's social media, emphasis on me. I mean, it's what it is. Psychologists and doctors have studied this because they saw this like spike, Up until the right of like, dude, everybody all of a sudden is struggling with depression and anxiety. Like, what is going on with society? Where is this coming from? Why is everyone all of a sudden struggling with depression and anxiety? And so they studied it. This isn't. This is like legit psychologists and doctors studying where is this coming from? And what they found out is that social media was causing depression and anxiety. That's crazy. That's crazy. So then they were like, okay, okay, we need to do another study to figure out why. We know that it does, but we don't know why. So they did another study, and they're like, why is this causing depression and anxiety? And as they studied people and took surveys and revealed and, I guess, put them on, you know, psychologists' couches and asked them questions, they then found out the reason why is because of something they coined social comparison. I look at your life, I look at my life, and now I don't like my life as much. I look at your followers, and I look at my followers, and now I don't like my life as much, and now I'm getting depressed and anxious because I didn't get invited to the party, and their kids are more behaved, and my husband didn't do that on Mother's Day, and all these different ways, and it's leading to depression and anxiety, not because we care about others or care about worshiping God, but because we want worship. We want worship. In Australia, doctors did another survey because all these youth and teens and college students were coming into doctor's offices. This is crazy. With horns. They were growing horns. People in Australia, and it's not because they're like, demon-possessed are crazy. They were growing horns. And it's because all of their life has been spent staring at a device. And so their neck muscles are trying to pull their head back up, like quit looking down. And as a result, the neck muscles have literally started to pull bone spurs out of the back of their head. They're growing horns because we're not looking at this for what it is. It's a mirror. We're looking at this as a mirror rather than a ministry. Because God says whether you eat or drink or social media, do it all to the glory of God. Instead, it's like, no, I'm, I'm doing it to the glory of me. And we're growing horns. Which is a parallel to it being like demonic or something. I don't know. So you figured out. I had to work it in somehow. Now, I've never struggled with this because I'm, I'm not on social media because it leads to depression and anxiety. Why would I subject myself to that? I'm not on social media. No, I'm not on social media because I have a five, three, and one-year-old, and we're barely surviving. Like, <laughs> every day, it's like, okay, we're alive. Let's do it again. Are the kids alive? Okay, let's do it again. I like to have zero bandwidth for social media. Um, what I have is sermon media. I don't have social media. I have sermon media, and I'm not talking about listening to sermons. I'm talking, uh, talking about the sermon shareometer. Now, if you're like sermon shareometer, what is that? The sermon shareometer is something that we have on watermark.org. I don't know whose twisted idea this is, but every time you give a message, there's a sermon shareometer. There's a nap trying to fly in my mouth. <laughs> on the on the website that shows how many times your message, as the message giver, has been shared. Now, that will screw you up as a communicator because a couple of weeks later, somebody's like, hey, will you send me that message? And so you're like, okay, you get online, and it's a little ticker. It even moves. It starts at zero and goes. And if it starts at nine, you're like, I suck. And if it climbs beyond a certain number, you're like, I'm great. And here's the sick thing. It's not the Sherman sharometer. It's not called that, by the way, but I needed something to call it. So, I could tell you what it is. It's not that that's messed up. It's my heart that's messed up. It's not the award that's messed up. That's a great award. It's the sick heart of the person who wants the award to walk forward and get it. It's the sick pastor who wants a high number on the shareometer. And so, I stand here before you today, not as a perfect pastor, like I am a sinner in need of a savior. And I hope that gives you encouragement. That, that here I am, mic'd up, sharing my sin, gross sin, current sin. Because I hope that makes you realize like, well, if it's, it, he's not getting fired or run out of town for sharing that. So maybe it's safe for me to share my sin too. And I can talk about my sin here. Of course you can. Because no one needs a savior apart from their sin. It, it's why we're gathered in this room. We have a common denominator that we are sinners in need of a savior. That's why we're here. Unless you're here to be seen by others because of religious, because it's Sunday and you need to come to church. Keep listening. It's not just social media because um, it can be anything in life. It can be prayer. And here's the thing about these idols, the approval of man and doing things to be seen by others. An idol will give you what you want initially because it knows that it will get you eventually. It's like, oh, oh, did you want approval and accolades? I'll give you that because I'll get you. Because that idol will, it will get you. It, it It will serve you and then it will enslave you. I got praised and in turn I got enslaved. It is the nature of an idol as you toy with them. And so prayer is another one of these You know, you think about prayer, maybe you sit down for a meal with your community group or with your children, or maybe, uh, you know, business lunch, and you're like, hey, you know, I'm a believer, would you mind if I pray before the meal? And then you're like, okay. Okay, I need to pray. It's in a split second, but, but you're like, I need to pray something theologically astute. I need to bring in some scripture to let them know that I memorize scripture in my free time. Oh yeah, Uh, Uncle Bob's here, so I need to remember to pray for Aunt Sally's tennis elbow. And then end with, after the supplication, much thanksgiving. Oh, and don't forget the food. Amen. And we're praying not for God to steer us, but for others to hear us. You're more concerned about the ears of others than God actually steering us in our prayers. How do I know that? Because I do it. Like I do it. When I pray, it's so screwed up. But I'm thinking like, okay, Okay, I'm praying around other staff, this needs to be good, how do I, like, 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 did you ever hear about the person who had a pure motive? No, because it's never happened ever. Like we're just messed up, poor, pitiful people that always have these like crazy thoughts in our head. And so it's doing the right thing with the wrong heart. It's what the Pharisees were doing, and we all do. And so what's the answer to kill this idol and change our heart? We'll keep going through the passage. The answer is to have right hands with a right heart. Jesus is like, hey, the answer isn't to stop doing those things. He wasn't rebuking the Pharisees for doing acts of righteousness. He was rebuking them for having a wrong heart. And so he's like, the answer is keep doing righteousness, but do it from a right heart. It's got to be out of an overflow of a right heart. And so back to the passage, he says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret rather than for as a publicity stunt. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray with your father who sees what is unseen. He's like, do it in private, not to be seen. When you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face. He's like, Don't don't play the part, you know? Fasting's between you and God, not you so that you can be noticed. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry about being seen and your father will see you. That will, that will show your heart is right if you're not doing it for the acknowledgement and praise of others. Now, the thing that he does here, he, six different times in that little space, six times, he says, secret, in secrecy. Your father in secret, do it in secrecy. Your father in secret, do it in secrecy. Now, he's not saying, because you could throw a flag and be like, oh, "Wait, hold on a second, I've been going through the summer on the Mount and in Matthew five sixteen it says, do your deeds before others, let your light shine, do your deeds before others that they might see them and glorify God. And now Jesus is saying, do them in secret. See, the Bible's full of contradictions. It's not the case. It's, 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 it's a heart check. This is all about motive and not about motions. And so when he's prescribing secrecy, he's doing so, he's saying, hey, secrecy will sanctify your sinful heart. Do it in private. If you're struggling with do it to be applause and awards and attaboys and accolades and likes and follows and retweets, if that's your struggle right now, start doing it in secret so that you can make sure that your heart is right. Secrecy sanctifies a sinful heart. Then go do it in public. Let let your private life exceed your public life. If you're doing things in public more, like if you're serving joyfully you know, here in a ministry or there at your workplace, and then you go home and berate your children and your wife. I was short with my wife Friday night, and I'm sure my kids, but it it feels like most high on the list was short with my wife. And then if I came here and I was just like so kind and loving, Jesus's words to me are like, hey, would you go do that in secrecy first? And then out of an overflow of rightly loving me, then come and love these people well. But, But don't don't be a fraud in your private life and then think you're going to go get applauded for your public life. And so he's prescribing secrecy to sanctify that sinful heart. That's what he's doing there because he says, your father who sees what is the secret. Now there's some, there's some folk theology in Christendom Uh, this is something that happens all the time. I'm sure you'll be familiar with the phrase. You might buy a homeless guy a meal and share the gospel with him, or you're changing your neighbor's tire, even though you're gonna be late for work, and somebody, this, this, you know, Johnny Christian walks up, and he's like, (laughs) hey, uh, I saw what you did there. I know what you did, and I know why you did it, but I'm not gonna talk about it because I don't wanna steal your rewards. Okay, okay. (laughs) And you're like, you're so weird, Christian guy. Why are you so weird? We think that if we acknowledge someone's good deed, it's going to steal the reward somehow. Like if we talk about it, they're going to like vaporize. And it's not the case. It's, that's bogus. We're supposed to encourage each other. We're supposed to spur each other on to love and good deeds by acknowledging them. Like, hey, when I see you do that thing, like, man, that makes me want to love people more, give more. Like, that stirs me up. That's incredible. Can you teach me to share the gospel the way you did? How is it that you've got this ministry to Muslims? Like, I want to know. I want to go. Like, help me do that. That's incredible. And when you encourage, the rewards don't vaporize. The only way the rewards will vaporize is if you're doing it to be seen. Jesus is talking about the motive, not an encouraging word from somebody. That is bogus folk theology. But as we look through this passage, the other word that I think may be the greatest sin, I think there's a greater sin that is embedded here in this passage and it would be often overlooked is the word when. I think that For us, for me, one of the greatest sins is in the word when. Because Jesus says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. Not if. There is an assumption like Christ followers will do these things. It's when. And then he lays out these three. And so I think it would be wise of us to walk through these and the way that we're doing this, again, this is not habits. These are ways of seeking God. And so throughout the passage, he says, when you give, we'll start there. Giving is a way to seek God. And you're like, giving is a way to seek God? I thought it was an obligation. Like, I'm a Christian, so I have to tithe. And, you know, 10% the floor. And anything up from there is really good. And I, that's just like something I do. No, it's a way to seek God. It's not a duty. It's a discipline to seek God. And you're like, well, how, how is giving seeking God? Give a portion of my check? Because biblically a principle is every time you give you get. Every time you give you get. We're meant to be conduits and not collectors. We're not buckets of blessings. That's the prosperity gospel. That God would just bless me for me and I'd get my nice shiny car and big rings and big house and big whatever. Like that's that's the prosperity gospel. The true gospel is that God's gonna bless you, that you might bless others that the kingdom of God would break forth. And so how am I seeking God when I give? Well, the reason why is because when you get money and you give money, you're seeing the kingdom of God furthering. You're furthering the kingdom of God. You're partnering with him saying, not my kingdom, your kingdom. Not my glory, your glory. And I know that everything I have is from you and for you. And so here, God, it's yours. I'm just a steward. You bless me much, let me bless others. Freely I've received, freely let me give. And so it's a way of seeking God Laura and I, I mean, right now, we're like, I mean, three kids thinking about college, car repairs, house, money, all that stuff. Like money can start to get a grip on our hearts because things can be tight with, you know, diapers and they don't eat fruits and vegetables now. They're pureed in and, and pouches and pouches are expensive. And so we've got all these things and it's really tempting to like hold on to money rather than just like to hold it loosely. And in doing so, if we hold on to money, money has a hold on us. There was this time that we, like, really started to, like, get worried about finances and all that stuff. And so we're like, we, we got to cut spending, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, enough, enough. We got to cut a check, actually. We need to, we need to give because the money's starting to get us. And if that's the case, you need to start giving every time you get. And the other thing that I would encourage you to do is to share your finances with your community group. Just this past two weeks, one of the families in our community group, they were like, hey, we want you to check our hearts. Because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. So here's our budget. This is our savings, our spending, our, our entertainment, our leisure. This is, this is everything. This is where every penny goes. Like projected and actual. It's like a crazy spreadsheet that I don't have the ability to do, but it was really. So he, they like put it before us. And it's not for showmanship. Like, <laughs> look how much money we make and look how much money we give. It was all just like, hey, can you help shepherd us? Here it is. We want to make sure our heart's not in the right place. Here it is. Here it is. And so they were just putting that before us. That's give. And it would probably be a good thing to do with community, in community. The next one that he addresses is prayer. He talks about giving, then he talks about prayer. And he says, when you pray, not if you pray. Um, we, we had a, a funeral this past week. We dressed up the kids in all black. Laura was wearing black. We put my, my phone in a little shoebox and buried it in the backyard. Because the mic went out, they did—they didn't actually do that. They should have, by the way that I was acting. It was like there was a death in the family because the microphone on my phone went out. It wrecked my day, like literally death in my pocket. And someone has rightly said, "You will know an idol by its ability to break your heart," and that thing broke my heart because not even the whole thing broke, just one portion of it. I was like, "I can only text." But the reason why I share that, when you're like, I thought you were talking about prayer. Why are you talking about your iPhone? Because my prayer life has gone exponentially down as my iPhone use has gone exponentially up. The more I use my phone, the less I pray. And ever since the last eight years or whatever since I got an iPhone, my prayer life has gone down because every idle second, every stoplight, every before every doctor's appointment, after my kids go to bed, before they get up, every spare moment, I'm like, well, I might have missed an important text. I wanna chip away at my inbox because that thing never dies. And I gotta make sure that everything's okay. And boy, I should probably check the news for the seventh time in the day because what if something happened in Beijing And I'm just like checking that rather than going back to the Father. He says, when you pray, when you pray. And so there's a few things that we've done in our community group that have really helped us in this. One of which is uh, prayer cards, just like for Laura, for the kids, for ministry. We've got these prayer cards that we go through to discipline ourselves, to draw near to the Father because my heart doesn't go there naturally. The other thing that a guy in our community group set us all doing, a bunch of people on staff are doing it, is set reminders on your phone. I mean, you're already on it too much anyway. I know I am. So I've got these reminders that go off, like pray for Laura, pray for the kids, pray for that little girl that's sick, pray for the next church leaders conference, pray for all these various things. So I've got alarms going off because my heart's gonna get drawn to the world and I need it to be, you know, something to beep, to wake me up from a spiritual slumber to draw me back to God because he says, when you pray, And then the other thing that I've talked about here before that has benefited me immensely in prayer is every morning I physically get on my knees, face to the tile in the bathroom, and I surrender my day to God. I'm like, this isn't my day, it's your day. Be Lord of my day, be Lord of my life. And it sets me off in glad submission to God when you pray, when you pray. The third one that he talks about is when you fast. You can fast to seek God. You can fast to seek God. Now, it's important um, as you unpack the Greek word of fast, because I've, I've studied this. I went to seminary for four being of a years. And as you look at the Greek with fast, uh, it's, it's important. There's different words for it, but the word is not keto and paleo, believe it or not. Um, those are Greek words for vanity. Uh, uh, I'm kidding. Don't send me emails. I'm sure there's great reasons and health benefits. Uh, that's, not, that's not fasting. That's like, I don't know, getting rid of sugar or eating more broccoli or bacon fat. There's different words for it. Um, but it's not fasting. And if you're like, well, but my fasting, like how am I seeking God? I just thought that was some like weird religious thing and I don't know, maybe Buddhists do it. Christians are supposed to do it too. Yeah, it says when you fast. And the way that you're seeking God by doing that, you think about the scriptures. You've got, you've got Moses, Elijah, Jesus before his ministry began, In the New Testament, before they would uh, appoint and anoint people to go out for ministry, they would pray and fast over who it should be. There's fasting all throughout the scriptures on seeking God to seek him. Now it's not about food, it's about seeking the Father, but the things of the world can dull our spirit And so as you fast, your spirit is like, there's a spiritual clarity that comes as you fast because you're not dulled physically. It says in Galatians 5, the flesh and the spirit war against one another. And as you fast, those things of the flesh like weaken and die, and the spirit enlivens. There's a spiritual clarity to the reality as you fast. But the other way that you can seek God by fasting is repentance. Repentance. And so, some of you have struggled, I know I have, like for years and years with a particular sin. And I would encourage you to fast in seeking repentance unto the Lord. You see it in the scriptures. The Ninevites, like when Jonah was going to the Ninevites, he was, hey, because of you guys, like wicked people, 40 days your nation's destroyed. It's been declared by God, wrath is going to pour down. All right, God, I did it, I'm out. But the king says he declares a fast, a nationwide fast. He didn't even let the animals eat like that. I mean, crazy fast. By the way, when you fast, you can still feed your dog. I don't know. That was like, that was, that, he's a Ninevite. I don't know. Feed your, feed your pets. But I don't know. Actually, maybe don't. I don't know. It worked. But, so they had a nationwide fast. I'm going to get a call from PETA. Did you really say don't feed dogs for sin? Uh, Yeah, because Peter cares more about animals than people. But anyway, uh, so now I'm really getting emails. They fast. They fast. And as a result, God puts aside his wrath. And it wasn't because of food. It was because they sought the Father. That was the result. They're like, all right, hey, you know what? Like enough of the things of the world. We're seeking God, the one true God. And God's like, thank you. Now I can work with your hearts because they're aligned to me. And Jonah got angry, which is weird, but another sermon. And so it's when you fast. And so I want to encourage you, like, walk out of here. And it's, it doesn't mean skip lunch. But it means in seeking to draw near to the Father or put, to put to death the flesh, that you would set aside food for a time, a meal, a day, whatever it may be. Consult with your doctor if you're going to go longer. So don't get emails about that. And uh, that God would come to your aid, and you would align to Him because our next point is to rightly love the Father. That's the call to action rightly love the Father. Now, there's not a particular scripture for this, and you're like, oh, I see. I said, Jesus, you're just like ripping that out of the scriptures. Rightly love the Father. That's not in the passage, it is. Six times, Jesus says, Father, Father, Father. Father, He is reminding, he's pleading with the Pharisees. You've got it wrong. You think that he's a cosmic hall monitor. You think that he's looking out for religion. He wants a relationship. He doesn't want your religion. These people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isaiah 29, he's not who you think he is. He's not a cosmic cop. He's your father. He loves you. He wants to know you and walk with you and abide with him. He's your father. It's not some enforcer. And so Jesus is reminding us now that this is all about rightly loving the father. It's not about righteous acts that we would earn merit or favor with him. That's what every other religion will say is do good to get good. And in Christianity alone, does God says, I alone am good. And so I sent Jesus on behalf of the bad, the sin, lived a sinless life, died a death on the cross, rose again, that whoever believes in me, Jesus, will not perish, but have an everlasting life. And Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. No one. Every other religion false, Jesus being the way, truth, and life. And so there's two people in this room. There are two people in this room. Every single person in this room, there are two people. There are religious people and there are righteous people. And here's the confusing thing. You can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference because they do the same things. And one's going to heaven and one's going to hell. And I don't say that to throw stones or cast condemnation. I say it out of love because if you're following, if you're a religious person and you think my good deeds will earn me favor with God and one day I'll be in heaven because look at all the good I did. God's gonna say away from me, I never knew you. It's not about your righteous acts. It's about a relationship with me and you can't have a relationship with me apart from Jesus. And don't expect to have the father in the next life if you didn't have him in this life, Jonathan Edwards said. And so, for you, person who has placed your faith in religion and righteousness, righteous deeds, for you, it's to simply pray, Jesus, I'm a sinner, save me. And He will. He will save you from your dead religion. And you'll have a new life. You won't be better, you'll be new. And then for the righteous, They're not righteous because of what they do, even though they do the same things. Remember, Jesus said, Don't, it's not don't do those things, it's do them out of a right heart. And the only way to have a right heart is to rightly love the Father. Those things are fruit. And so, for the righteous who have trusted in Christ, the answer for us is John 15, 5, where Jesus says, I'm the vine. You're not the vine, I'm the vine. You're the branches. You need only abide in me and I in you, and you will bear fruit. The way that you bear fruit is through an abiding relationship with the Father, through the Son, and dwelt by the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruit of me. I can bear no fruit. But as I abide in Christ and he in me, the fruit will be born. Our thing is, is to have a relationship, a right relationship, to rightly love the Father, to rightly receive his love, to not think, I don't have to earn your favor or your approval. You're not asking me to jump through hoops or do a bunch of rules. I am just to be in right relationship with you through the Son daily, not once and for all. And as I do, you'll bear fruit. And all the things in the Sermon on the Mount will come to pass, but not by your efforting, but by the Spirit moving through you. And then you will have rewards in heaven. Speaking of rewards, I had another award that I want to tell you about. I haven't won many awards in my life, but there is another one that I want to brag about. Every year, uh, Watermark Church staff gets away for a staff retreat in January. Um, so all four campuses gather together in one location, and we talk like strategic planning, uh, a lot of time in prayer and worship. We break apart with our teams and talk about new initiatives. In this particular year, uh, I won an award. That's right. I won an award, and I'm going to brag about it. Here it is. Here it is. Uh, I don't know if you can read the words. It says health code violation. (laughs) I won the health code violation award last year because two years ago when we were on a staff retreat, I was like, hey, you know what? We should do communion. And I was like, okay, great. Will you lead us in that? And I was like, yeah, totally. So, hey, we're one body, though, four campuses. We're one body, one church. And so we're going to have one loaf, we're going to have one cup. You're going to take apart the bread, dip it in the juice, and take it. Well, we have 240 staff members. One week later, 80 staff members had the flu. <laughs> 80. And I didn't get it. <laughs> it says in the scriptures some of you are sick because of your sin. I don't know it's first corinthians 11 look it up it's sounds like i don't you all need to confess and come to regen <laughs> y'all my motive was right I, I i think i like had the right motive like hey let's all have communion it was not executed perfectly and a bunch of people got sick angrily sick uh, and we'll never do that communion that way again now you'll always see little cups and little crackers I didn't, my my motive, I think it was right, but it wasn't executed perfectly and it was kind of a mess. It was messy, it always is. Everything I do, I've never had a pure motive. Everything's a little messy, but that doesn't mean that I don't do things. So if you walk out of here and you're like, well, until my motives are perfect and until I got my private life perfect, I can't share the gospel, I can't buy somebody a meal and tell them about Jesus, and invite them to church. If you wait until you're perfect, you will die waiting and you'll never act. And so again, walking out of here, the whole message that Jesus was trying to tell us in Matthew 6, 1 is, do you want to be worshiped or do you want to give me worship? It's not gonna be perfect. You're broken. That's why you need me. But as who's gonna get the worship? And so let's offer right worship to the Lord, cast our crowns before him and live rightly with the Father by his love. Let's pray. Father, Thank you, first of all, that we can call you Father. May that never be a flippant thing. Thank you that we can call you Father. Thank you that you love us, you've adopted us by the blood of Jesus. Thank you that we can offer acts of worship to you, not to be worshiped, but to worship you. And we're called to be salt and light out of an overflow and of an abiding relationship with you, Lord. And so here today, would you just fix our broken hearts, the idols of approval of man? Would you put them to death by the Spirit that we might only seek that everyone would be approved by you through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. We love you. Amen. Amen.